Here the old gods are dead. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, uh, this is a QPB podcast. I'm Rebecca with Liam. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a spirit. <laughs> I don't know why you sound like, like I do cast for the fucking ghost. I do try and say it different every time, but like sometimes it's just sad. Yeah, that was mournful. <laughs> to be fair, we did actually go to record yesterday, and both of us were in a sort of foul mood, so that kind of explains yours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always a reason why we're recording literally less than. No, a bit 12 hours before the episode's actually meant to come out. Yeah. Professionalism is what we're about on this podcast. Mental illness, in it. Um, um, so, Rebecca, other than me being a mournful ghost, what has got you down in the dumps this week? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember the time that me and Liam got cursed. Like, we got a video curse put on us via email once. The literal email curse, it sends me every time I think of it. Like, <laughs> it's like someone a... over email. <laughs> it's like chain mail, like, send this to any of your pals or, like, I'll go so we get the end of your bed. If it, if it was, you have been hexed and that's it. <laughs> Basically, me and Liam are both cursed. Liam went through a very turbulent time. Actually, I'm not cursed. I do not claim that energy for myself. I want that on the air. I do Tea. not. <laughs> but you did get evicted and have COVID and your dog died all in one week. And I've kind of like skated on by luckwise. But on Friday last week, my tires got slashed. <laughs> but well, I like. I, I can't drive, but I can. And uh, she can, but the curb falls victim to it every time, you know. Yeah, the curbs just jump it and hit my car all the time. <laughs> so basically, I had hit a curb the night before, but I like swore it was like the passenger side. And then woke up in the morning, and my girlfriend's mum was like, "Oh, your tire's flat." And then I went out and checked it, and I was like, "I'm pretty sure I didn't hit this tire." <laughs> and then I was like, "All right," and then booked it in and stuff, and then. Like went out to check it again and seen that there was like a blade mark in my tire, and then my girlfriend's mum her tires were slashed as well. So you could say that I'm the victim of hate crime, and that's what I told the police. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did you tell the police that? Because you thought because I need I need I, I no I had to do an incident report because it was more than one car, 
Um, because ah. normally I actually wouldn't contact the police, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but because it was antisocial behaviour and I didn't want it to happen again if my car was parked in this area, um, I let them know. And they were like, oh, like, literally everybody that I told was like, oh, who are you meeting enemies, eh? So if there's any rival podcasts out there <laughs> who slash my tires, <laughs> make yourself known. Oh my God, it's going to be like West Side Story and we're going to be like clicking our fingers and like fighting another podcast. <laughs> I'm not a musical theater kid, I just know that reference. Don't at me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm too sexy to get that reference uh, <laughs> But aye, that was my runny bad luck Also, like, I had spent, like, six weeks at work On my end So, like, my mental health was, like, no very good So it was The world got on top of me on Friday But I did see Liam Me and Liam went to yeah. see Will Fallis together saw each other And they saw our yeah. Instagram story about them And then never shared it Which I think is rude Um, So, Ellie <laughs> Roselle Or however you pronounce your name Rousel. Rousel. You are an enemy of the pod. <laughs> no, not jokes, actually. Ellie. Please, we're, we're please kiss me, Ellie. <laughs> so we've got a wee mailbox moment. I actually just stole that name for another podcast. If anybody listens to Binge-topia, they'll get that reference. That's my favourite podcast. I should probably come up with a different name. I just can't help myself but say mailbox moment. If anybody's got any any suggestions, leave them in the comments. You didn't ask me for any suggestions. Uh, maybe I should okay, be Okay, babe, you, you go. You go. Uh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, Becca's big hairy box. <laughs> I think that one's nice. Anyway, <laughs> this is Veneve, and she says, the ookiest, spookiest thing that's happened to me was when I was at Arbroath Abbey. So scary, so true, Arbroath's a show. Uh, I've, not, I've actually there. never been to Arbro. Full stop, that's it, that's the story. So she was at Arbro Abbey when she was 10 and she was getting her photo taken at the top of one of the viewpoints and she could hear like monks chanting and I'm pretty sure Arbro Abbey does not currently have monks in it. It might actually be ruins, I'm actually not sure. But she said that she heard monks chanting and she says that the only way that she can describe it was that part in Nun, the movie. Have you seen yeah, that? Love that film. I love the Conjuring films. Um, I don't care that they are sponsored by the Catholic Church. I think they're so good. Literally, I could not care less. <laughs> if the content's good, I'll watch it. Oh, wait, no, the latest one was garbage. Oh, the devil made me do it. Yeah. I've not seen that one. But- I did not claim that satanic panic shit, but I will go for, like, <laughs> Catholic Church <laughs> nun stories. Yeah. Um, so, basically, she says that it, the sound reminded her of when Valak is rising out of the water in the nun film. And she says... That she asked her dad if he heard it as well, and he said that he did. So we thought it was just one of those interactive board thingies, kind that you get at like historical Scotland. Yeah. You press a button and some Love. like dynamic earth. Love. <laughs> oh my God. We should do dynamic earth as research for the podcast, but that's a story for Sponsor us, dynamic earth. <laughs> and then they went around the rest of the abbey, and there was nothing that could have made that noise. And it was really weird. And she's been back a few times, and she's never heard anything like that since. Me. That's pretty icky spooky, though. I feel like Abbey or Broth would be a good drag name. But that's just me. Happy <laughs> <laughs> bro. That's all. The time I was trying to retain information about the story, and I was like, "Welcome to the stage. Welcome to the stage." <laughs> but, um, um, that sounds uh, demonic or something. Yeah. Or angelic, but. To be fair, like places they worship are normally like highly, highly charged. Like I can remember, I just I went to. Remember when your primary school used to drag you to church even though you went to a non-dominational school? No. 
anybody else hear that experience? Right, so I went. <laughs> so my my primary school would make us go and celebrate like Easter and stuff, even though your school was not religious at the local church. And it wasn't that old, but the vibes were horrendous just because it was a place of worship. Like these places, the veil is thin. It must yeah. be said. And also, like, I would be like, oh, like looking at all the stained glass and like looking at Jesus and stuff, and I'd be like, oh my god, I'm going to burst into flames. What the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> Oh, that's my tea. So sad to be uh, really obsessed with religious imagery and places oh, of worship. Too. Though I love it, like a prayer music video. Oh <laughs> no, the rent was due and the rent was paid with that music video. Like I don't know, there's something just they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. These um, Christian imagery peoples. It's lovely. Anyway, this is a Scottish history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear like a scary story eh, ghosts demonic monks aliens local cryptids anything like that you can email us the podcast at gmail.com or you can send us a dm on twitter at the creepy pod or send us a dm on instagram at the creepy podcast and we'll read your story out so the day we're going to be talking about the flannan isles lighthouse mystery uh we're going to take a wee break first and then i'll come back and set the scene As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So the Flannan Islands are found in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. They're a group of barren crags in the North Atlantic, about 17 miles northwest of the tip of the Hebridean Isle Lewis. To the south, the nearest land is the abandoned Isle of St Kilda. Future episode topic, don't worry. <laughs> um, and then after that, it's the coastline of North America, which is about 2,000 miles off. So, obviously, these islands are pretty well exposed to the like full force of the North Atlantic gales. 
because of that, the Isles have like rarely ever supported a human population. For the last 700 years, at least, they've been deserted. And even before the Highland Clearances, which reduced the population in the Hebrides, they seem to have only been visited during the summer months. So like yearly, Hebridean farmers would bring their sheep there or they would go there to gather seabirds, Wait. eggs. Like basically they would scale the cliffs to yeah. like get eggs and then and take them back. They took they cook sheep, like, on boats. Yeah, they would take them on the boats on a wee school trip and then they would spend their <laughs> summer holidays <laughs> in the Flannan Island. Yeah. Well, that's so... Do you think the sheep ever, like, fell overboard? Like, how did they... Literally, I, imagine... my, I, was, I was reading my notes out to my girlfriend and she said the exact same thing. She was like, do you think the sheep fell off? <laughs> but, like, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> Sheep are very hardy animals, <laughs> and uh, like because you can see them like in the peaks in the highlands. Obviously, highland clearances, sheep, uh, <laughs> people made way for sheep, and yeah. uh, they like pretty much just stay stationary. Because I've been listening to an audiobook on the history of mankind and the way that sheep were bred, basically made them the most docile and domestic ever. So they're pretty, pretty dumb. They do not move. They can sense danger and stuff, but they don't move. They just kind of just where they are. They just they just graze and move, move around to find new grass. They would they like tip their shit. They're no mm. lemmings, basically. Um, before the lighthouse's construction on Aelin Moor, it was last occupied in the seventh century by Saint Flannan. He's an Irish missionary, and he's who the islands are named after. And he actually has a ruined, dedicated tiny bee chapel in Aelin Moor. At the late end of the seventeenth century, a historian for the Western Isles, Martin Martin wrote a book describing the folklore and traditions of the Hebrides. Wait, his name is Martin Martin? His name is Martin Martin. Like, this, is it like the same spelling twice, or is it like... No, it is Martin Martin. It's copy and pasted, Martin Martin. Love. Very famous historian of the Western Isles. Never heard of her. So he had asked a man uh, who had sailed to Elon Moore if he prayed at home as often as he did in the Flannan Islands, and the man plainly confessed that he did not. And he said, these remote islands were places of inherent sanctity and there was no one who found himself more disposed to devotion here than anywhere else. Uh, St. Flannan's history in the islands obviously adds to this reputation, but Crofters and Lewis in the 17th century believed in a magic surrounding the islands, which is why people find themselves being more spiritual there than anywhere else. They do give the vibe. Yeah, they do. They do give the vibe. They do. Even like looking at pictures of them online, you're like, like there's something creepy yeah. about them. But like not... Not necessarily bad, creepy, just like, um, like old world are kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. almost like, um, uh, like otherworldly, like interdimensional. Yeah, we will get onto this anyway. According to Martin, there have been many small bones that were dug out of the ground on Aelin Moor. They resembled humans more than any other, <laughs> and this gave tradition to the natives, like believing that the island was home to very small statured people, basically like hobbits. And then Aelin Moor was sometimes known as the Isle of the Little Men because of this. <laughs> oh. I thought that was quite cute. <laughs> yeah. So, Aelin Moor is the largest of the 20 or so rocks and crags that make up the Flannan Islands. And it's actually the peak of a subterranean mountain that rises almost vertically out of the water and then creates like a huge set of cliffs and hills and stuff that make up Aelin Moor. Wait, that's cool. I had no idea of that. I didn't even think subterranean like... mountains were a thing. <laughs> I did, but I didn't know that was one. That's cool. Yeah. 
every single source that I've been on for this and like it's egg shaped and I was like alright and then went on Google Maps it's nothing of the sort it's absolutely nothing of the sort it's island he doesn't have the vernacular <laughs> it's island shaped <laughs> um, so because it's a subterranean mountain that basically rises out of the sea the cliffs are about 150 feet in height and then the further hills and land and stuff get up to about 200 metres in height above sea level um, above the cliff line there's a steep grassy bank which slopes south to north and carries the land to that height of 200 feet on this side of the island the cliffs fall straight down into the Atlantic and that's on the top of this hill that's where they decided to put the lighthouse because on that side there's like like the this area of the sea really really needed it because yeah. it's like a huge shipping area. She was begging for it. <laughs> she was gasping for it. You're begging for it. You're asking <laughs> for it. Um, Get at, off my back. <laughs> at the southern end of the island, the rock walls are less steep and relatively easy to climb. But even then, the Northern Lighthouse Board, the NLB, which I'll refer to them now, uh, decided <laughs> that it would be easier to hack stairs into the solid rock and just let people climb up the island that way. You could not pay me to do that. Yeah, you literally couldn't. I would die. <laughs> the Planning Islands obviously experience frequent bad weather, so the NLB decided to construct two landing places on Aylenmore. So this way, whichever way the wind's prevailing, either on the east or the west side of the island, the relief boats or boats carrying goods to this island would be able to like park up next to the island and then people would basically, you basically just jump off the boat onto these steep steps and then climb up. I'll put pictures up of what the steep stairs actually look like. They are, they, they, they're just, quite steep on the way up. Not, not to spoil the story, but like, they're like, what could have possibly happened to these lighthouse keepers? And I'm like, you literally created a death trap. What did you, like, what? Sorry, spoiler, this story is a bit like three lighthouse keepers who go missing. But one of them, the most experienced one, was like, had already said to the Northern Lighthouse Board, this place is dangerous. Like, I hate young children at home and I hate a wife. Like, you need to consider this. Yeah. Um, so, let me tell you about what happened the night that these lighthouse keepers went missing. So, Joseph Moore, the relief for Aileen Moore's lighthouse, stood in the bows of the lighthouse tender boat Hesperus as it bobbed in the North Atlantic. The men at oars inched them towards the 150-foot cliffs. As they were approaching, they would have already have seen that something was wrong because the flag that normally greeted the relief boat was not flying and the light was out. Obviously, it was daytime, but it didn't. It, like folk had already reported that the light had not been on. For several days, but because of bad weather, relief was like two days overdue. Moore leaps ashore and scrambles up the handmade steps that lead up the cliff face to the grassy bank at the summit. And when he climbed, they must have been wondering what the fuck was going on. Four keepers operated the newly opened light at Elinmore. Three were on duty at any given time, whilst the fourth took a fortnight's leave. So on this day, the 26th of December 1900, it was Moore's turn to, to relieve one of his colleagues and resume his watch. But worrying signs that something was badly wrong were already beginning to show. As Moore climbed up the hill, the Hesperus sounded its whistle because it was a steamboat and Love. there was no response like nay lighthouse keepers running down the hill to like excitedly get relief and then help the Hesperus crew like bring food up the island because Moore has like we set of trams that they use to like buggy food and water and stuff up to the lighthouse and uh, normally when the Hesperus would arrive the lighthouse keepers would run out and get everything set up so they could start bringing food and stuff up 
um, that wasn't happening. So <laughs> um, Moore was getting increasingly anxious and runs up to the living quarters and looks inside and he sees that it's completely deserted and so is the lighthouse and the fire in the living quarters hadn't been lit for a few days, it seemed. You will see um, people always talk about there's a toppled over chair and their food was still on the table and stuff. This is not true. Um, this Actually, Ellen, that is not correct. <laughs> this story gets compared to the, the disappearance of the crew of the Mary Celeste Quite a lot. Have you ever heard of that, Liam? Um, yeah, but you explain yeah, it. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's a ship that basically turned up and the crew were missing, but apparently their food was out and the lamps were still lit and stuff like that. So it looked like they had literally just vanished into thin air. And folk love, obviously, this story is really creepy and it's really mis- mysterious and stuff like that, but folk like to compare it to the Mary Celeste. So it's kind of got yeah. that kind of hang attached to it that's not true yeah. when Moore basically walked into the living quarters the beds were made the logs were written all the food was tidied up like the person who had been cooking that day had like cleaned up after himself like everything looked neat and tidy which is what it should be because they're lighthouse keepers they had a pretty strict regime it's like all yeah. like almost military if you if you <laughs> didn't come for me i looked at the sources that did not harm <laughs> so basically there was nowhere else on the island that these colleagues could conceivably be because if you do look up Elon Moore, it's a pretty wide open space there's no places to hide there's the wee chapel but it's ruins now basically and then there's the lighthouse yeah. and that's it you could like look north south east and west you would see them if they were there. Convinced now that some tragedy must have occurred, Moore retraces his steps back to the landing place and requests help for the Hesperus's second mate, McCormick, who returned to the lighthouse with Moore and another seaman to conduct a search, Moore further this time, but equally as fruitless. Eventually the men give up and go back to the Hesperus. He kens that even though this tragedy's happened and stuff like that, the main thing that they have today right now is light the lighthouse. So Moore returns back to Aelid Moore, operates the lamp, and then, if possible, whilst he's doing that, ascertains the fate of the missing lighthousemen. They didn't do that. They can't. They can't figure out anything at all. Yeah. After this, they get back on the Hesperus and they go back to Lewis, the site of the nearest telegraph station, and they send an urgent telegram to the secretary of the Northern Lighthouse Board in Edinburgh, and they type out, "A dreadful accident has happened on mm. the Flannans." The three men who disappeared were all experienced lighthousemen, amongst the best employed in the NLB, obviously because this place is so dangerous. The principal keeper was called James Duckett. He was 43, Fairbrove, and he had spent two decades in the lighthouse service. Duckett had been selected to run the Flannan light whilst the lighthouse was still under yeah. construction and had spent a total of 14 months on Aylenmore. So he really like knew the area. Yeah, he was he was booked and busy. Yeah, booked and busy. And then his yeah. companions were the second assistant keeper, Thomas Marshall, who was 28 and unmarried. And then, unluckily, mm-hmm. uh, there was a occasional keeper named Donald MacArthur, who was 40, a married man for Lewis. And MacArthur was an old soldier who temporarily did lighthouse work. And he was there the day that they disappeared because he was covering for another lighthouse keeper who was sick. Um, oh, so this would not okay. this would not happen to him if his colleague was now on extended sick leave. So think about that next time you. Do. <laughs> yeah, next time you try and call in sick to work, think of the repercussions it can have on your colleagues, not as being big capital. <laughs> Jokes, phone and sick all you want. <laughs> yeah, do what needs to be done. 
look at it from the other side. If he hadn't called in sick, it would have happened to him, you know? Yeah, T. So Moore dated in his memorandum on the 28th of December, two days after returning to the island. What's a memorandum? It's basically his diary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So two days later, he returns back to Elam Moore to get a better idea of what happened. In his diary, he writes, The lighthouse flag normally hoisted to welcome the Hesperus was not flying, and there was no response to several blasts on the steamer's horn. Captain Harvey deemed it prudent to lower the boat and land a man if it was possible. I was the first to land, leaving McCormick, the boymaster, and the men in the boat until I could return. I went up to the lighthouse, and on coming into the entrance gate, I found it closed. I made for the entrance door leading to the kitchen and storeroom and found it also closed and the door inside that, but the kitchen door itself was open. On entering, I looked at the fireplace and saw that the fire was not lighted for some days. I entered the rooms in succession and found the beds empty, just as they left them in the morning. I did not take time to search further, for I naturally knew well that something serious had occurred. I darted outside and made for the landing. I informed Mr McCormick that the place was deserted. He with some men came up, as so to make sure, but unfortunately the first impression was only too true. Mr McCormick and myself proceeded to light the room where everything was in proper order. The lamp was clean, the foundation full and the blinds on the windows, etc. I know that people like literally died, but like all I could think of that whole time was like the fact that this man, like because you said it was a diary, I could only just think of him like an old man, like writing this, like on his bed, like kicking his feet behind him. (laughs) Like not not his like chick flick moment. (laughs) It really took me out of the atmosphere. <laughs> Not that breaking your immersion. Um, <laughs> so that night, Moore had made sure that the lamp was lit and then him and his companions made a search the next morning. At the East Landing, they found everything in order, but on descending the cliff path to the much more exposed West Landing, which looked out into the North Atlantic, they found signs of sorn damage. So that wee trolley that I was talking about, the yeah. wee buggy system, the iron railings that made the wee tram tracks had been bent and had started from their foundations and broken in several places and then a box containing mooring ropes had vanished despite it having been wedged firmly into a crevice and then anchored evidently the westland and had been exposed to some very heavy weather yeah it is often speculated and obviously this is a theory but that create through the mooring ropes as people think that the lighthouse keepers disappeared because they were trying to save this box of mooring ropes and that they fell into the ocean yeah. that way. Considering that they're experienced lighthousekeepers, I think they would have let them go. Yeah. That's just one of the theories. That's the most popular one, is that they're trying to like repair storm damage in the middle of a storm. I didn't really go for that, but this obviously can lead us into theorising more about what happened to Duckett, Marshall and MacArthur. So we'll take a wee break, and then Liam will come back and we'll talk some theories. So, <laughs> so the weather outside. The weather recently, huh? Wait, no, we have been living through a storm recently. So, like, and prep for this. <laughs> yeah, I love when storms like. Obviously, bad that like people like die. get harmed in storms and die. Um, but I love when. You see, like, videos of wheelie bins flying through the sky. Like, it's so wizard of Oz, it's camp. I'm obsessed with it. Eunice really snapped when she did that. Um, Speaking of adverse weather, 
<laughs> See, that's a segue. That's such a better segue than the one earlier. I'm so much more proud of that. <laughs> what you catchphrase, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so the most common theory, as Becca said, is like something to do with like adverse weather at the time being related to the lighthouse keeper's disappearance. Mm-hmm. I also read that they were trying to get that box of rope and immediately was like, okay, but they're like well-trained. Like maybe it was the like the military guy made the mistake and then the other ones were like, oh my God, no, I yeah. tried to get him. Like that's believable to me because he didn't have as much experience. Yeah. However, I don't think it's the one. Yeah. But there is another theory that like a huge wave could have like rolled them out, which I was like, Christ, how big was the wave? However, I was like, could it even reach that high? And apparently, yes. So like even the shortest part of the island is like like 70 to 100 feet Mm-hmm. above the ocean, which is the Atlantic that is like directly flanking the island. The waves can routinely reach high enough um, to, to reach that. But moreover, the waves can actually reach as high as the lamp house itself, like the bit at the top of the lighthouse where the, the lamp that oh, really? shines the light out is. Oh, didn't they yeah, they can, yeah, they can reach that high, and that's 300 feet up from the sea. So. Sorry to jump in, but like, say they were... Um... They weren't fixing that mooring boat or anything like that, the mooring box or anything like that. They were just outside the lighthouse at the wrong time because it could could have just been like a flash wave and they were outside and it's just dragged them out into the sea. That seems much more plausible than they were scrambling for a mooring box and then got swept out. Yeah, because that's kind of giving three stooges, and that's too, yeah, like. Move it, bonehead. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't buy that one. But this more so. But also at the same time, like if the waves were that bad, they wouldn't have been outside if they were experienced. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, because it, they would have been like, the sea is stormy. Let's not do that. Scary. Yeah. So the most the most plausible thing in terms of it being all like adverse weather is that they were outside doing something, like maybe fixing the rails or whatever, because I can that they disappeared when the weather had calmed down a wee bit. Um, Yeah. Most likely in the timeline. So maybe they were fixing something, and then a flash wave just took them out to sea, which is obviously really horrible. But what are some other theories? Well, another on the adverse wind scenario is wind. Like, the wind itself could have, like, blown them away. But, again, they wouldn't have been outside if the wind had been that fast. Yeah. Lewis is, like, one of the windiest... Well, like, these are near Lewis. And it's one of the windiest places in the UK. Like, the the winds can reach fast enough to, like, move you. Mm-hmm. Like, literally move you. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, the highest recorded one is, like, 161 miles per hour. Imagine. Uh, I, that's scary. I like, can't even walk with the light breeze. <laughs> yeah, like... Children can be taken away at, like, 70 miles per hour, and, like, 120 miles per hour can move, like, a person. Yikes. So that why just, people, like, like, used to pray to the gods to, like, calm Weatherden. Yeah. Like, that's insane. But, again, if they were experienced, they would have known to, like, drop to the ground. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, I don't know, maybe they just got taken by some freak weather. What could explain them being outside when they weren't meant to be? Well, no, this is the thing. A lot of people buy into the the man versus man mm. scenario, of which there are two. The first one is what I think you're getting at, which is madness. Yeah. Um, yeah I've said it before, and I'll say it again. All work and no play makes Homer go something, something. 
go crazy don't mind if i do <laughs> people literally died and i'm like like i can't help it i'm becoming like a true crime person really like but like i also don't want people to listen to this and be like wow this is depressing so yeah i need no, to give it up tempo somehow yeah no you're right um <laughs> you're so right you're so so um, yeah when your circle's small but you all crazy um so yeah some people suggest that maybe one of the keepers went crazy from like isolation madness or something mm-hmm. um and then killed the other two threw them overboard and then was like fuck and then just jumped over himself which is dark like that's dark yeah but another thing that i was thinking like could be plausible is like so you know old lighthouses this is something that i was interested in like old lighthouses the like actual light produced by them is produced through um what's known as like a fresnel lens which is basically a lens that's filled with mercury and then the the liquid liquid, yeah yeah the liquid liquid mercury reflects the light Uh uh-huh and that's what creates like the light beam i don't know if this was that kind of one maybe that i don't know but this is just me building onto this basically what light housekeepers had to do like what was part of their routine chores in this was to like get like a really fine cloth and filter out dirt and debris from the mercury when it got cloudy because obviously then it would stop reflecting but uh, in the late 19th century and like early 20th century, uh, they didn't really know how poisonous mercury was. And mercury poisoning, one of the earliest symptoms of it can be like the onset of madness. Sorry, even if this lighthouse on Aylan Moore wasn't a mercury uh, light, even then, at this point in history, especially when dealing with which what they would have had is tinned rations of food, 100% I can bet that the tins of food that were on Aylan Moor contained mercury because the canning yeah. process hadn't been like felt like nobody knew that mercury yeah. poisoning was like a proper bad issue then and I can guarantee that the NLB would have been getting them like the cheap and nasty so it would have been yeah yeah because it was like every two weeks that relief came so I can not imagine that they had fresh food the entire time so even if they didn't get mercury poisoning and the fresh like, food on a lighthouse would have been fish, which yeah. also contains mercury. So, like, yeah. no tea. I think, like, genuinely, I can remember before we even like spoke about this, and I didn't read theories about this. I just really like this story. I was like, I think it's mercury poisoning in some way. This is the theory that I'm down bad for. Like, I think that either via the light or via other food, they got one yeah. of them got bad mercury poisoning, and has either went mental and killed his colleagues and then jumped or has went mental and went outside in a storm and the other two have tried to stop him and they've all been swept to, to sea. Yeah. Love. I I believe that that could be one of the most likely ones. Yeah. Another theory on the man versus man front, however, that <laughs> I had initially, like, see, when I was reading this, I'm a big fan of pirates. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? What happens at sea stays at sea. I wonder if it's the same for a lighthouse. Um, so in my head, and this is something multiple sources corroborated that this was a plausible idea, so it's not just me thinking this, but in my head it was like, what if they were having their little offshore romance to, like, get them through? Yeah. To satisfy their feminine wild. Mm -hmm. Like, what if they had this, like, love triangle, and then there was, like, jealousy, and it was like a crime of passion, and then people ended up dying so like they like like they died for being fruity but like not in like the god smiting kind of way but like in the telenovela scandalo gay romance love island kind of 
Um, and I was literally like, this could be a thing. Because obviously, like, pirates, pirates did that all the time. It was, like, proven. Uh, herpes, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and there were, like, there was one, like, academic source. You sent me it, actually. Um, that had, like, possibilities. And it was, like, least to most plausible. And that was, like, near the more plausible end. Like, close to the weather. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> take from that what you will. I'll go, I think I'll go along, man. That could have happened. You know me. But, like... A personal theory for me, actually, is, like, I like to believe that they're not dead. And it was, like, some sort of, like, Bonnie and Clyde-esque sort of, like, thruple, um, like, leaving the lighthouse deliberately, but, like, somehow getting another boat or something. Like, something happened and they escaped altogether to, like, live out their, like, true authentic lives. Because then, then they're not dead and then I don't feel as bad about Oh my god, they went to London, small town boy. <laughs> if we choose to believe that that's the true outcome then it's not like godless that we are actually making light of this situation so. it's also not sad to believe that yeah hopefully they got away in some kind of way and just oh, whatever abandoned their families and stuff but at least they're not dead exactly there is a little there is like i was listening because the reason that i found the story was like years ago i was listening to this podcast it is the only anime I can't remember the name of it. It was these American people. And they were like, oh, maybe they got taken away by, like, pirates or something. And I'm like, pirates in the North Sea? Whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> pirates in the North Sea in the year 1900. <laughs> like, there's a reason why there was never pirates in this area. Because these seas are fucking deadly. And you say um, that podcast isn't on the air anymore. I wonder it, why. Uh, yeah, I wonder um, why. <laughs> my last theory that I will talk about, as this is the Creepy Wee podcast, is uh, folklorish tales of how these keepers may have disappeared. Mm-hmm. And as you said earlier... Like, there were myths of, like, tiny bones, etc. found on the island. And there was the chapel on the island as well. Yeah. Well, not the chapel, the, the church um, on mm. the island. Um, people believe mm-hmm. in the local area that mayhaps um, the fae folk are the bones, like it's dead fairies, etc. Yeah, love that. So there are, there, are, there are multiple routes this goes down. So mm-hmm. one is that the fairy folk turned them into giant birds I don't, I kept trying to find out, like, I kept trying to deep dive the information of, like, where this giant bird, because there's two stories for this giant bird, and mm-hmm. um, where this giant bird storyline comes from, and I'm I'm at a loss, like, I can't find any folklore that talks about giant birds. But, I've like, never heard of, like, Scottish folklore creatures, like, obviously there's, like, Kelpies and stuff, but I've never, have yeah. I ever heard of a giant bird. Yeah, but seems multiple like an American story- thing. Yeah, but like multiple stories like go down the route of giant bird, giant bird, giant bird. And it must just be word of mouth at this point. But like, that's like, why giant birds? Like, I want to know. Do we have any listeners for the Western Isles who can fill us in on this? They probably should do it by now. But (laughs) 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 if you get any local folklore of the Western Isles where it concerns giant birds please let us can because this sounds like yeah, rescuers down under a, kind of thing yeah this is a gap in my knowledge i've never heard of yeah. birds and i'm pretty well versed in scottish folklore like this is why i'm here so um the fae turned them into no. giant birds and they flew away or is one of the other yeah. theories in this that giant birds flew in and took them away yeah that that's one? another one giant birds flew in and took them away again fae folk related yeah but the other theory of the fae folk is that you know how you were saying about how like 
churches, places of worship always have like this sort of like liminal mm-hmm. sort of energy to mm-hmm. them. Well, a theory is that the ruin of the church is actually like a portal to the fairy realm yes. and that the fae folk like took them to the church and just like took them into their realm, like lost forever. Oh my God. Like that's, that's what they do. They take you, they nab you and they, you disappear. What? Oh, remember in the Scottish superstitions episode, in episode three, I spoke about something, a type of fairy that comes and takes people away and they hold them for ransom. Oh, what is their name again? The Slua. They um, they did that yeah. to a guy, remember, they took him into the land of the Fae and they were going to yeah. bring him back, but the person who was to save him couldn't meet their wishes. I wonder if it was that kind of vibe, like through the looking glass and they've just kept them. That's yeah. so scary. That's like Pied Piper vibes. That actually scares me yeah. so much. <laughs> no, like, honestly, I leave, I leave like coins on my windowsill and like little thimbles of water sometimes and I leave it open. Like, see if I'm feeling particularly nervous about them, I do that because I am, I am like paranoid about it, but also not paranoid because you can never be too prepared. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Um. Anyway, yeah. So that's my theories. Do you have any theories of your own? or? <laughs> I do the mercury poisoning one and like I feel like all of them are really plausible knowing the giant birds so much but you can what I'm like and this is the creepy bee podcast so I will go along with don't mock it till you try it could well be it could well be giant birds or it could be the fae I 100% believe that the fae are real and (laughs) they trifle with mankind as much as they can and especially like on an ancient island where nobody's ever really lived apart from a missionary and then they build like this huge man-made structure on this ancient isle. It yeah. does not. It wouldn't. Leave it th- alone. It wouldn't surprise me if the fae got a bit ticked off and went, "Well, we'll take the lighthousekeepers and we'll not give them back until you destroy the lighthouse." Yeah. Well, the lighthouse. I is, would do um, that. The lighthouse is not man-operated anymore. I think most of yeah. the most of the. Oh, fun fact. Most of the bridges and lighthouses in Scotland were actually designed by Robert Louis Stevenson's dad and uncle. And I'm pretty sure Robert Louis Stevenson's dad, that's why Robert Louis Stevenson was so good at writing, because he was posh. Uh, His his family were made money, but he was well-educated. He's an industry baby. Yeah, like really industry baby. But his his dad was like like big into building lighthouses and stuff. Like he built um, this sea lighthouse like it's built basically into the rock in the sea it's called bell rock lighthouse if you google that it's quite scary looking um but i'm pretty confident that one of the stevenson brothers designed the light on alan moore so that's a fun Um, fact man has obsession with building giant phallic objects are we shocked? No. Stay of what that is he compensating for? Aelin <laughs> <laughs> Moore's no longer a man-operated lighthouse, just like every other lighthouse, basically, in Scotland. And I even think he can visit Aelin Moore. Like, I'm pretty confident that they didn't take boats out there. The government knows something. The government knows something that we don't. Maybe it is today with the fate. I'm going to look up um, Aelin Moore... The more like how built it. Yeah, David David Allen Stevenson built it. Well, he's related to Robert Lee Stevenson in some fucking way. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> They're the family are pretty notorious for building like different bridges and stuff. Anyway, I'm for making sure you say their middle name. <laughs> their middle name, like <laughs> um, <gasps> you know, I would believe that people who are good writers being serial killers. Well, he wrote Jekyll and Hyde, so maybe we should do an episode on that. Big oh, that club. Will they Jekyll and Hyde? Anyway, we're so far off talking about fucking lighthouses. <laughs> 
so far <laughs> off topic. But um, in my research for this, I didn't I didn't watch this, but I found out there's actually a Netflix series, a docu series, seven parts about this called oh. The Keepers, and it has eight point one out of ten stars on IMDb. Do oh, I will well. watch that then. I'll, I'll watch yeah. anything above a five, but seven parts <laughs> seems like a bit much. We've been speaking about this for well, like fifty five minutes now, and it feels like it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there's also there's also oh God, a film that came out a year that came out a year later than the docuseries that has it just scraped oh. the five stars it's like five is it the one with Jared Butler <laughs> yeah he directed he? Oh. not only is he in it he yeah oh. he's not a very talented and gentleman th- do you know what fun fact about him he was president of the Glasgow Uni Law Society and maybe he should have stayed in that profession. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I actually only knew that fact because I won a Glasgow Uni pub quiz, and I don't even go to that uni, so suck on that one percent. Um, <laughs> but the film—I can't remember what it's called. The Vanishing. It's called, it's like, called The Vanishing. The Vanishing. Yeah. The Vanishing. And it has that guy from Sex Education in it—the one that's like the bully, but then it turns out he's just like a suppressed bottom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, good reviews. I would watch that one, probably. I would probably Uh, watch it for funsies. Um, Obviously, it's unrelated, but The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and William Defoe, they do reference this, that when William Defoe and Robert Pattinson's character are talking together in The Lighthouse, they mention, like, lighthouse keepers that disappeared or went mad or something, and that's what they're referencing. They're referencing the Alan Moore disappearance (sighs) So that's quite cool because a lot of people like I was. I can remember when the trailer came out for that film. I was like, "Oh my god, is that a bit Elon Moore?" And it's no, but I think it is a wee bit. It's a wee bit inspired by it. It's also inspired by like Vertigo and loads of different other films and stuff. But they do reference that. I thought yeah. that was quite cool. Um, it's got a masturbation scene. That's all I care about. Yeah, T. <laughs> Method actor. The way the way uh... the way that he does it for like a tiny wee figure. Yeah, mermaid. <laughs> it looks like such a cartoony looking mermaid. <laughs> We've all been there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> who among us? Uh, <laughs> who among us? But that's uh, that. That is the mystery, even more. I'll I'll go along with madness and fairies more than I'll go along with adverse weather, or maybe like a combination of everything. Um, you know what? Now. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to go with the giant birds. Yeah, tea. It could well be. It could well be. The thing is, is that it happened 122 years ago, so we're never ever going to find it. Although a lot of people. Oh, it was 122 years ago. Why was I walking on eggshells? That's far enough away for it to not be any significance to anything. Yeah, but people still disappeared and never came back. Um... <laughs> yeah, but like, also there were like people murdered in front of a child, and we still managed to make jokes in that episode. So... <laughs> Delete this bit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, um, remember and follow us on Twitter at the Creepy Wee Pod, Instagram at the Creepy Wee Podcast, and remember to rate and review five stars or nothing else. <laughs> That's us. Thanks. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 